In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Nicole Yang, and I am joined by Tom Westerholm of MassLive.com and Chris Grenham of Forbes. We are coming to you Thursday morning at like 1.30 a.m., hours after the completion of the NBA draft. So I guess to start, heading into tonight, there were still rumors about the Celtics trying to trade up. I feel like leading up to today, everyone was talking about the Celtics trying to trade up. This morning at 10 a.m., Mark Stein of the New York Times said the Celtics keep searching for trade pathways to get into the top three of tonight's NBA draft. Ten-ish hours left to find one. They did not find a trade partner. Before we get into their selections, were you surprised by the lack of movement within the lottery, considering all of the discussion leading up to tonight? I was pretty surprised. I thought just as a whole, I mean, it kind of did. You kind of got the sense as we were moving closer and closer to the draft start time that the market maybe was shrinking a little bit and teams at the Celtics weren't getting as many bites as they thought they were going to get. And Danny kind of hinted at that saying, you know, it wasn't as chaotic or busy as they thought. So yeah, I was surprised at the lack of movement, but I guess it was kind of, it was a little bit telling the hours kind of leading up to the draft. I would, I would say. It's easy to like logically look at something and be like, oh yeah, like there's probably going to be a lot of drafts because it's kind of a weak class and maybe people want to move back. But then when it actually comes down to the nuts and bolts of like the team with the number six pick in the draft, trading the number six pick for, you know, like whatever was being offered, like I assume that, you know, Atlanta probably wasn't getting like any superstars offered for the number six pick in the draft. Like when the rubber actually met the road, I bet it was actually kind of hard to be like, okay, like, how are we going to sell to our fans? Like, you know, there's all these like interesting players here at number six, like, yeah, there's like interesting guys at 14 too, but like we could have Anyeka Kungwu or, you know, we could have Isaac Okoro and we're actually we're pretty happy with that. Like, I think I was a little surprised, but I think in retrospect, maybe we shouldn't have been. Maybe those picks were available, but, you know, it was always going to take like a good amount of value to, to pry them away from these teams because they're, they're lottery picks. Like even in a, you know, relatively weak class, they're still lottery picks and that kind of holds a lot of sway, I think. So there are a couple other rumors that I definitely want to get to later, but I mean, let's get into the pick. So with the 14th pick, they selected Aaron Naismith out of Vanderbilt. He was a name that was tied to the Celtics heading into the draft. He was one of those wing options. And leading up to the 14th pick, it seemed like the Celtics would have some pretty good choices. Like at one point, both Devin Vassell and Tyrese Halliburton also had dropped, I think, a little bit lower than people had thought. Sadiq Bey was available. So it seemed like the Celtics really had some good options. Then Vassell and Halliburton went 11 and 12. Kira Lewis went 13. So it seemed like Naismith was the natural choice there. What did you guys think of the selection? I think Naismith's a good pick. I mean, like you said, he was tied kind of similar to Vassell. They worked him out as the pre-draft process went on. And and again, he gives the Celtics what they need. You know, floor spacing and shooting off the bench is something that they need. And he's a guy with good size who can fill that right away. And, and I think Celtics fans should be happy about that. I mean, obviously, you know, he 
put up ridiculous numbers shooting 52% in a short 14 game stint last season that yeah, before he fractured his foot, it was against some pretty iffy non-conference competition. Uh, Tom's giving me a thumbs down, but that has to be brought up because I don't think he would have shot 42% in SEC or uh, 52%, excuse me, in SEC play probably would have shot 42%. Yeah, I was going to say, he might shoot 42, though. Which is still pretty damn good. Very good. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, by no means am I saying that as, you know, he's not a good shooter because he's a great shooter, arguably the best in this class, and and that helps the Celtics flat out. A lot of people are going to talk about the fact that he's only an off-ball shooter, and I think, you know, that's that's mostly true. Like, I don't think he's going to be a guy who ever probably creates too much for himself at the NBA level. Maybe that's something he develops a little bit. But, like, I also think that there's, like, that that also kind of minimizes what he does because he's really good at finding space, and I think that's really important. Like, there's been comparisons to Duncan Robinson. I think another kind of intriguing comparison is, is JJ Redick. You know, he, he's that kind of guy where he, he'll, he'll fly off screens. He, he's pretty good at like shooting off kind of movement. Like that, that's not like a common skill. Like that, that's yeah. kind of a unique thing. And, and I think he can do that. And when you've got somebody who can do that at six, six and like spent 28 hours a day chopping down trees when he was 13. <laughs> and so now he's just yoked. Like, I, like, I think there's a lot of value there and we'll see how well he defends. We'll see what else he can add to his offensive game. But as a starting point, I think there's a lot of value there. I do agree. I think, I think what you said about kind of his skill set almost being minimized a little bit, I think is definitely true because it seems like when people talk about him, well, he's one dimensional. Well, yeah, but like you said, he's really not because he's kind of a, a versatile shooter in a sense because of yeah. the way he operates off the ball, the way he finds space, the way he angles coming off of screens. Like he's a smart, high IQ shooter, which is a it's a great skill to have. And it's um, not that common. And it's not that common. No, it's really not. And so I, I totally agree with you. And his size bodes well for him maybe having a little shot creation upside if if that ever were to come to fruition. But his skill set is fine as is, in my opinion. I think he hit the nail on the head in his very short availability after he got selected. He was literally asked three questions. It was yeah. rapid in how quickly they ushered him out. We got but like 11 questions with Peyton Pritchard and three yeah. with Aaron Naismith. It was very bizarre. But yeah. anyway, the first question was, what will you bring to the Celtics? And he said, shooting, instant floor space, making life easier for those guys who are really heavy creators on offense, like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker, just making their life easier. While on the defensive side of the floor, being able to contribute with my size and my length and my ability to guard multiple positions. I feel like that was a really astute answer. Well, not just an astute answer. It's also exactly what Brad Stevens says that pretty much everybody on the Celtics is supposed to do. Like Brad Stevens constantly says, like, what we're asking these guys to do is to make Jason and Jalen's lives easier. Like, that's what Romeo was supposed to do. That's what Grant was supposed to do. That's like, that's basically what Aaron Naismith's like entire skill set is, is just like, make it easier on these guys. And like a weird amount of Celtics fans were mad about this pick. Like, yeah, I thought that was odd. I mean, Naismith was, this was the range that he was projected to go in and he fits a need for the Celtics and was like, it's very possible that he was the best player available on their board because like, this was roughly where everybody projected him. This wasn't a stretch. This wasn't a ridiculous pick. Just the simple fact that like everything the Celtics are doing right now is based on how can we make life easier for our stars? Naismith is that guy. Like he, he he's the guy who can do that. And he has a lot of super likable qualities, in my opinion, in terms of off-court stuff. Like I think Celtics fans will grow to like him. I get Grant vibes from him. 
Yeah, um, there's some Grant vibes. Just from listening to him and reading a little bit more about him. He turned down an offer from Harvard to go to Vanderbilt. So I think he's clearly a smart dude. His brother goes to Harvard. I mean, Tom mentioned the chopping the wood and making chicken coops and all that stuff. So I think he has um, like an Aaron Naismith, come help me finish my basement challenge. <laughs> One of the other questions he was asked in the extremely short media availability was, who would you say you're most excited to play against in the NBA? And his answer was, one, props for him to actually answering it, because so many players would just, you know, say, like, I'm excited to be in the NBA. And he said, Chris Middleton, because Chris Middleton went to his high school, but it's like, buddy, you are in for a treat when the Celtics play Chris Middleton. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also... Just LeBron James. <laughs> sure, yeah. I too would be excited to get dunked on by LeBron James in my first NBA game. <laughs> I also enjoyed people using the Chris Middleton comp when that response came out on Twitter. They're like, oh, like he's modeling his game after Chris Middleton. Like I'm in because he's going to be Chris Middleton is our absolute enemy. Because that means he's going to play 41 games a year at Boston Garden. Like, good <laughs> Lord. <laughs> this guy's yeah. going to be the best player in the NBA. <laughs> he's going to be the best player of all time. <laughs> and um, he did make the most of his very short interview because then he called himself an absolute sniper. In his that was the one game. answer. I got yeah I it was thrilled. the best one I promise yeah. you I, I I saw the other three it was easily the best answer when I tweeted that quote out Coley quote tweeted me it was like basically I appreciate a guy who immediately upon entering the NBA is like yeah I'm nasty <laughs> <laughs> there is something to be said about that I like you the know? confidence I love it I love it. it also doesn't seem like like arrogant confidence it's just kind of like oh no, yeah I'm is. a sniper yeah. I'm, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm an absolute sniper okay shoot the lights out so what would you guys grade this pick I gave this one a B plus. I mean, it was very hard. Like, I feel like with my grading system, it's like, okay, so an A is kind of like, you know, those, like the old quote that's like, that's like, like when, when people are, are talking about like art versus pornography and they're like, I, I don't know what the difference is, but I know, I know it when I, I see know it. when I see it. Yeah. Like yeah. with an A, it's like, you know it when you see it, like the Kings getting Tyrese Halliburton at 12, like that's an A, like, you know it when you see it, the Grizzlies yeah. getting Desmond Bain at 30. That's an A. I know it when I see it. Like, I don't think Aaron Naismith was an A by any means. And like, you know, A minus is just a step below that. Like, it's a great pick. I think Naismith was was a, a good pick for the Celtics. Very reasonable. Good spot for him to be. I think he's going to contribute. All of those things, I gave it a B plus. Like, I, I think he's going to be a good player. And I think he's going to help the Celtics possibly this year. You know, certainly next year. Seems like a good player. So that's where I landed on it. I was going to consider going A minus, but I like your rationale on the B plus. So I, I think that's fair. I mean, everything you said is spot on. Like he he's going to be able to contribute and help right away. He checks a box that the Celtics were looking for. And again, like he was one of the guys they targeted. They worked him out. They were clearly interested in him or maybe hadn't gotten to see him enough during the regular season because he was hurt. It just bodes well for their needs. Like, I think it makes a lot of sense. And he, I, I think he still has a decent amount of upside as an NBA shooter. You know, he's not as one dimensional as a, a lot of his critics say. And defensively, he's not going to kill you. So he's not an ultimate three and D guy like a Devin Vassell, but he's big enough where he's not going to be a liability on that end. And so I think that is a positive because sometimes you get a college shooter who's only a college shooter and he's a real liability on the defensive end. I wouldn't consider Naismith that at all. He's a competitive on-ball guy. He doesn't move very well laterally, which is a problem. But again, like he's going to compete and he's smart in terms of off-ball defense. So I-, I think that does go a long way as well. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right, so moving on to the 26th pick, 
This one, I think, got a lot more flack than Naismith did. The Celtics went with Peyton Pritchard, a point guard out of Oregon. He was a senior. Leandro Palmero went 23, so that eliminated the obvious draft and stash. RJ Hampton went 24. Manuel Quickly went 25. But still, Tyrell Terry was available. Desmond Bain was available. Malachi Flynn was available at that spot. What did you think of Peyton Pritchard? Malachi well, Flynn. And, and, I, know, I, know you're, I know you're a Peyton Pritchard guy. I am a Peyton Pritchard guy, but it is tough to see Malachi Flynn on the board there. It's tough to see Desmond Bain on the board there because those are two shooters as well who would have been very nice. And I mean, I was big fans of those guys too. So that was tough. But I think Pritchard is extremely underrated. I think he's made a lot of progress over the last year and a half to two years. That's super promising. He took on a much bigger workload in his last season at Oregon, uh, and he shot the ball really well. He shot just under 42% from three and pretty high volume. And he's a smart playmaker too. He's not just a shooter. Like He's good in the pick and roll. He's a good scorer in the pick and roll too. He's, he's patient and he knows how to make those reads. I think that goes a long way. And again, what we've talked about so much over this brutally long pre-draft process is the Celtics could use some scoring, a nice little scoring punch off the bench in the form of a backup point guard. And I don't know if he'll serve as, you know, that everyday backup point guard, but if you need a scoring punch, a little offensive spark plug, like he's a good guy. And again, he's not terribly undersized like a lot of point guards in college are where he can compete defensively. The defense is going to be a problem because just a 6'2 guard is going to get targeted at the pro level. That's just the way it goes. But he's competitive and he's a smart defender. And and I don't think that's going to be a terrible, terrible downside. But that's certainly the weakness there. The thing that I kind of come back to on this, and this is going to sound like a bit of a cop-out answer, but like the thing that I come back to on this is that like, you know, the, there, there are guys that I would have preferred there. There, there yeah. were certainly guys that were much higher on my board. I mean, I had Tyrell Terry very high on my board. Yeah. He was like super available. Like he, he was available <laughs> at 30. But all of that said, you know, like the Celtics, Danny Ainge mentioned in his post-game availability that he doesn't pay much attention to the mock drafts. And I think that's quite obvious if you look at any of Danny's drafts over the last few years. But like it's worked for him. The Celtics went to the Eastern Conference Finals this year based on two players that he drafted. You know, it's kind of a cop-out answer, but it's like, look, the Celtics have done a lot of scouting on Peyton Pritchard. They must have decided that they liked Peyton Pritchard better than Tyrell Terry. They must have decided that they liked him better than Malachi Flynn. I can't sit here and say that I have like a strong, like, honestly, I can't say I, I can't say I have a strong sense of Peyton Pritchard. I always thought he was like a, a solid college player. And maybe that translates to the next level. In my initial reaction, Pritchard, really? Like, Wow. But like a lot of these guards could probably be bunched together. There's probably yeah. not that much separation between a lot of them. Like how confident am I that Grant Riller is like way better than Peyton Pritchard? I don't know. I liked Grant Riller, but like yeah. they're, they're all kind of like small guards who aren't super athletic. Um, they're all very similar players. It's just kind of like a matter of like preference. And Danny said that he has, you know, he's been watching Pritchard for a while. He, he's been a fan of him for a while. Um, and, and like all the things that, that you said, Greta, like they make sense. Like he he can score. He's tough. You know, he'll, he'll play hard. Like, like maybe it'll work. It's not like they're trying to draft their point guard of the future. Exactly. Like yeah. They, it's not like they picked him at number three. They, they picked him at like number 26 and he's going to be coming off the bench. Like 100%. I think that's okay. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of Celtics fans maybe were kind of going down the wrong path when they were ticked off because they're looking for the guy of the future. And really that's not what you do with the, with the 26th overall pick. Uh, right, yeah. You don't get your guy of the future. So just to piggyback off that real yeah. quick, I would say too, that like, I thought that maybe like somebody like Tyrell Terry could be like right. down the line, you know, like clearly the Celtics evaluation is different than mine. 
the Celtics do this like extremely professionally. So like, they're probably right. <laughs> I, I think there is something to be said about all those guards kind of getting bunched together because we did continuously say that throughout the last couple of months. Like if you get, you know, deep into the twenties and into the thirties and forties, there's a lot of good guards, whether you're talking about like Trey Jones or Grant Riller, or there were good guards. So I do kind of agree with that. And I'm sure teams boards look drastically different where Peyton Pritchard might've been at the back end of like the Hawks board compared to the Celtics who really knows. But I think there's something to be said about Pritchard's edge. Cause he's a real gamer. And yeah. I know there was a lot of Carson Edwards comparisons getting thrown around. He's got more size than Carson one, but I also just from watching him, I watched a, a lot of Peyton Pritchard. I didn't watch as much Carson in college, but I I'd like to think he has a little bit more of an edge to him. And he's a little bit more of a gamer than Carson, which I know it's not, you know, a, a stat or anything, but I do think it goes a long way and I do really like that part of his game that he's kind of just going to come in and grind if you're a guy coming off the bench like he's going to be ready to go and kind of ready to compete so I, I think that goes a long way and I don't know I, I like his game a lot I think he was very underrated the other thing that made me kind of high on him was like this particular pre-draft process I went out of my way to try and make an effort to like get people's opinions on certain guys just around the league Pritchard's name over the last couple of months was a guy who continuously came up whether I asked about him or not. And so I think there's also something to that. And uh, there was some buzz on him clearly. And the Celtics were a part of that. They clearly liked him. To go on the, the Carson take real quick. Like the, the thing about Carson is that like Pritchard shot better than Carson. Like, yeah. He, yeah. 100%. You know, Carson was a very streaky shooter and I know Pritchard kind of was too at times. Mm -hmm. It's funny if you look at Pritchard's numbers, you know, his uh, I think it was his freshman and junior years. He shot, 35% from three or yeah. four below and his sophomore and senior years he shot 41% like almost almost exactly like 41.3 41.5% he can be streaky too but like I, I think just generally in college Pritchard probably was a better shooter than Carson Carson obviously had the super flashy tournament run where you know he, he just lit everybody on fire but like I don't know like Pritchard did it for four years and he did it a little bit more consistently obviously it depends on free agency and sort of where the, the Celtics roster actually stays stands once the season begins but as of right now do you think he will be on the 15-man roster do you think he'll be on a two-way what do you think this means for Tremont Waters Carson Edwards I mean it might come down to like a training camp thing like like who looks better in training camp like I, I don't think we can know at this point I mean Pritchard's much taller than Tremont and Carson actually yeah. I, I, I don't know how much Carson showed last year that would get him into the rotation. Uh, I know they like Tremont. You know, I, I like Tremont. I think he's a good player. He's five foot ten, and that's generous. That's really small for the NBA. It, you know, he, he did well at the G League level, and it's also really small for the G League. So maybe he'll, you know, maybe maybe he'll be ready to go. But like, I do think that if the season started tomorrow, I think that there's a chance that Pritchard is above those guys in the, the rotation. Just he's a little bigger. <laughs> like it's just, yeah. you know, it kind of is what it is. Like you're six two, you're that's that's better than five nine or whatever. I could see a training camp battle too. I mean, the size does go a long way in terms of defending guards in the NBA, which is hilarious that we're saying that Peyton Pritchard has good size compared. But when you're talking about Tremont Waters and Carson Edwards, it's a big deal. Yeah. And, but I think he will be on the roster because I think that's a pretty big differentiating factor. And also, I don't think his skill set's a joke. You know, I think he's got a legit NBA game to him that NBA benches should value. I don't know what they're going to do with Carson on another note. So that's, I'm not really sure what the outlook is there. And I'm not sure what the outlook is in Tremont. Like you said, I know they like him and I know there's interest on Tremont's side, but I don't really know what's going to happen there. So that'll be interesting to follow.
So Peyton Pritchard's availability was triple the time of Aaron <laughs> Naismith's, but he said nothing compelling, in my opinion. The reason that it was like longer than uh, Naismith's is because there was just like a million people from Oregon, like asking him questions about Oregon, which was just like, I'm sorry, man. I don't care what Dana Altman has to say. Like, good for Dana Altman. Cool. <laughs> So I was going to say the one takeaway I had was that he clearly means a lot to Oregon because yes. he went to high school yes. there and then college there and people were asking what it means to represent Oregon. So the state of Oregon will be rooting him on. Uh, um, one one quick thing that I thought was funny. Um, all of his like profile stuff is like just a kid from West Lynn or whatever. If you Google West Lynn, it is described as an affluent Portland suburb. So <laughs> just a kid, man. Just a, Just kid, a kid from, from West, West Lynn, Lynn, man. Made it yeah. out the mud. Grinding made along those the, Made it out the mud. <laughs> I think to the same end of Naismith's response to what he brings to the Celtics being pretty accurate, I think Pritchard's response also kind of worked because somebody asked him what role he sees for himself as a rookie. And he was like, I'm not really sure yet. I guess I'll just get down there get ready to compete and try to win opportunities for playing time and all that. And I would say that like aligns with the two of them, if that makes sense. Like Naismith is sort of like already ready to go. You can see how he can fit in and Pritchard is sort of like, he'll get there and you'll sort of see how the rest of the roster shakes out. Is that fair? I think that's fair. I thought that Danny actually, Danny Ainge actually had a, a pretty like compelling answer about Pritchard um, in his uh, post draft uh, availability he said he, he's a guy I think can play in any system he can play with any players I love how he pushes the pace he'll make guys run he's playing with the ball in his hands you know he'll, he'll get guys up and down the court very quickly that was an interesting you know kind of way to look at him is like Danny wants him to be a guy like I, I don't think that you know obviously Pritchard is not going to be a guy who's playing like 30 minutes a game but when he comes in I wouldn't be surprised if his assignment is like look for these 10 to 15 get your cardio up you know and, and get, get your high intensity interval training up so that when you come in you know you can just like run like like, I want you to make everybody run. I want you to run. I want things to be quick when you come in. I, I thought that that was kind of an illuminating thing is like early on in his career, it might just be like, go out there, you know, just kind of pick things up a little bit. It'd be like that little burst of energy. Um, You're not going to get many minutes, but like make the most of those minutes and, and you'll get some playing time. This is kind of on a different note, but this is such a whirlwind for these guys. They have training camp in less than two weeks. Crazy. Like, how insane is that? They definitely yeah. couldn't have afforded to get someone that needed a lot of, I forget if Danny, who said this, but like handholding. Yeah. Yeah. Danny said that. Yeah. Danny said that. Yeah. Because yeah. there's just no way, like even Aaron Naismith and Payne Pritchard, I think are at an extreme disadvantage. And I feel bad for them because I feel like people aren't going to take into consideration this, how rapidly they're going to have to like acclimate themselves in terms of like production. Like if they aren't ready to go, I hope people remember, like, they haven't had Summer League. Like, they haven't yeah. had anything. I'm also yeah. disappointed we won't get to see Naismith Summer League. That would have been enjoyable. It would be fascinating, right? Because, like, Summer League is made for guards. Yes. Like, guards who can That's get buckets, true. like, That's excel true. at Summer League. And, like, Naismith's whole thing is, like, somebody needs to pass him the ball. Like, yeah. he'll find the space and get open, but somebody's got to give it to him. So, like, that, that would true. be fascinating uh, to see, like, you know, he averages, like, 6.4 points at Summer League or something like that. Everybody's like, he's a boss it's like, well, but he yeah, shot 100% on threes. Yeah, on second thought, maybe it's a good thing he doesn't have to go through summer <laughs> league. <laughs> All right, so with the 30th pick, obviously after the Celtics made their first two selections, everyone was pretty curious as to what they were going to do with this because there was no way that they were going to take on four rookies. 
So they ended up trading it to the Memphis Grizzlies for two future second rounders in the 2021 draft, presumably. We don't have like the exact details of the deal yet. So they took Desmond Bain at that slot for the Grizzlies. And I feel like Celtics fans are probably pretty thankful that this wasn't a traditional draft because there's no photo of Desmond Bain putting on the Celtics hat. So I think that would haunt them for a while. I agree. You know, I think the thing that interests me about that whole scenario is like, if the Celtics knew Tyrell Terry, Desmond Bain, you know, you can list off everybody who was available at number 30, Xavier Tillman, whatever. If the Celtics knew that all those guys were going to be available at 30, I wonder if they would have had a little bit more interest in, you know, maybe trading. What could you have gotten for 14? Instead, because what instead what you got was like two second rounders that are not going to be very useful for number 30. But like, what could you have gotten for 14 and then and then gotten Desmond Bain at 30? I don't know. It's an interesting, I mean, considering. I, I like Naismith. I think he's going to be a really good player. Like, what would that look like if instead you had gotten like a veteran at four, like for a trade at 14? I mean, you and I are two people who by the end of this process were grouping Bain in with Naismith and, yeah, and for those sure. three and D guys and essentially those shooting wings. And so, yeah, I think that would have been a great thought and who knows maybe they explored something like that but if i'm being totally honest i think that sounds like a great setup in in my mind because you go and potentially grab a vet and then you can still get bane at 30 which is a tremendous value pick but again this is this is hindsight so it's easy extreme to hindsight that needs yeah. to be made clear is that there was yes. ab- at 14 there was absolutely no way to know that desmond bane right. was be available at 30 right and uh I think the way this board, I don't know about you, but the way this board shaped out was kind of surprising to me. Granted, that's the way all drafts work. You know, teams, whether it's a trade or whatever, Patrick Williams was kind of the wild card that threw off the top 10 a little bit. I I don't know. I thought the way this board shaped out was a little interesting. And I didn't think that some of the guys, the Celtics had a chance at a 14 would be there. And I also didn't think that a lot of the back end of the first round guys would be there. All right. So last pick, 47. Danny made it pretty clear after the draft in his press conference that they really only wanted to pick two rookies or they really only wanted to bring on two rookies. At the time, like in real time, I could have seen them maybe making a selection and just seeing where it went. Maybe they had enough room for like a two-way or something or just doing some sort of like roster competition. But they ended up going with the draft and stash. Yam Madar of Israel, the intent is a draft and stash. They're going to keep him overseas for at least one more year. It was funny. His response to the question was literally, I can't remember his exact quote, but the tone and the delivery, basically Danny was like, yeah, he's a player and he's going to stay overseas. (laughs) It was very funny. Oh yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. He's on boards and stuff like that. But what I tweeted out in less than the maximum characters was all the notes I had on him for the last six months, which was like, he's a hardworking point guard, good handle, good feel for the game, needs a jumper. Okay. On defense. And that was legitimately all I knew about him. There was one tweet that was floating around. I don't remember who it was from. That was like trumpeting him as like the most improved player of the Israel Premier League. I was uh, like, yeah. let's, let's get it. I love it. I love it. Let's do it. I love it. I mean, I tweeted like right before the Celtics made the pick, I tweeted some of the guys who were still available. And I was like, or I think I tweeted something along the lines of like all the guys that I like play the same position as Peyton Pritchard, which yeah. was, I, I was basically referring to Grant Riller because I, I love Grant Riller. 
and, and then the, the Celtics obviously did a draft and stash. And then I tweeted like, obviously they were going to stash you moron. <laughs> Clearly that was like what they were going to do. Like, yeah. As uh, I'm over in the corner of Twitter, begging them to give Killian Tilly a two way deal. <laughs> I mean, well, I do wonder if they, if they gave any thought to drafting yeah. somebody for a two way deal, like Cassius Winston, Cassius Stanley, they were both still available. Uh, you know, I mentioned Riller. There, there were a lot of guys. Merrill was still available. Like, yeah. th- there was talent to be had, but For like, sure. it is just easier to draft and stash. Bringing on two rookies makes sense, and they uh, they got the two guys they wanted. So I think that's the answer of uh, how they ended up with Yam. Yeah, and you're right. An additional two potential two way guy or something like that. It, it would have gotten pretty crowded pretty quickly. I, I think it makes more sense to go the stash route. And honestly, too, like there's plenty of guys like like the lists that a lot of like really smart draft Twitter guys were sending out of like undrafted free agents. There's a lot of real talent on there for sure. So like what the Celtics can do now is they can evaluate their roster. They can go through the next couple of days. The nice thing about having a super condensed schedule is that it's not like like some of those guys probably that that you might like from the undrafted free agent list might still be available in a few days where they might not have been available if like free agency was like a week away or two weeks away from the draft. So now, you know, they can go through the next couple of days, they can figure out what they want to do. And then if they, if they have room for a, another two way guy, then great. Or if they have to uh, reshuffle things again, like basically the Celtics still have plenty of options. They could have drafted Cassius Stanley. They could have done one of those. But, like, again, clearly they weren't that high on those guys. So I don't agree. But, like, again, the Celtics have, like, watched more film and had more interviews than I have. So So looking at the draft as a whole, my interpretation and my takeaway was that it wasn't really a banner night for the Celtics and that the fan base seems down. What do you guys think? I got that impression from like replies on Twitter and that sort of thing. Like I think from a fan base perspective, it's net down for sure. I think part of that might also be because of just the lack of action. Like we talked about at the beginning of the episode, like there wasn't any flurry of trades. There wasn't a crazy attempt, a real crazy attempt to move into the top five and go get Wiseman or something like that. So I think Mark that Stein might play, really set the bar like way up high for that. Set the bar so high, so early in the day. And then it was just net down all from there. From a personal standpoint, I think I'm like, you know, know net neutral like they kind of did a lot of the things we said they should try and check off you know they went and got a a floor spacing shooter on the wing which is going to help right away and they got a little scoring boost off the bench with a with some backcourt depth so I don't necessarily think it's bad I I wouldn't say I'm net up because it wasn't anything crazy I think it would have taken I don't know uh, maybe going and getting Desmond Bain deep into the first round or something to add in that but I would say net neutral maybe even net up but I'm definitely not net down I wouldn't think I think what particularly maybe added insult to injury was that the Sixers really nailed all of their Yes, yes, yes. So they drafted Tyrese Maxey. They drafted Isaiah Joe, Paul Reed. Nicole, like that that is exactly what I was going to say. And just in addition to that, they also got rid of Josh Richardson. They got Seth Curry. Like they made- They got rid of Al Horford. They got rid of Al Horford. Like they are in a much better spot than they were. It was wild to watch the Sixers actually know what they were doing. Daryl Morey turns out is good at his job. Yeah, who who knew that like a guy with a plan could execute a plan and that it would work. I I think that's a huge part of it is that like, I would be either like, I'm, I'm exactly where Grenham is. Like I'm either net neutral or, or net like slightly up on how the Celtics did. I, I don't have like strong opinions on Pritchard. Like I said before, I, I like Naismith quite a bit. He was pretty high on my board. Good pick, good job all around. 
except that like your competition got better. Like I also thought the bucks got better. But so I think that's ultimately why my stock is down is because even heading into tonight, it was like, okay, like the bucks are already getting better with the moves that they made, even though the Bogdanovich move seems to be in flux, but I don't really Okay. We can all agree that the Bogdanovich move is not actually in flux and they're just doing is it this just for like, tampering stuff. The tampering yeah. cover up. Yeah. I mean, regardless, like, okay, maybe it's in flux. Either way, I think it's very clear that the Celtics competition is improving. I'm not saying the Celtics are, um, I was about to say like deproving. That's not a word, but <laughs> I'm not saying the Celtics are like declining. Deproving. Like, I'm not saying the Celtics <laughs> are like drastically declining, but it's very clear that they are going to have competition, like serious competition yeah. for like a shot to the finals. And the thing is though, that it's like, what could they have done? Like, okay, so they trade and, and I'm, you know, like it kind of, it's a zero sum game where like one team is going to win and one team isn't. And like, that just kind of is what it is to get into the top three. Like, okay, so what did you want them to do? Did you want them to go get James Wiseman? Like it is right. like the big of the future, the big concern. Yeah. Cause if that's the case, then you're trading Marcus smart and you're already potentially losing and Like Marcus smart is like this team's, you know, starter next season. If, if they lose Gordon Hayward as kind of seems like might be the case. Okay, so James Wiseman, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker. Is that the team that you feel comfortable going to war with? Because, like, if so, great. But if not, like, that's kind of the situation that the Celtics found themselves in. It is kind of a tough spot. I will say I think it's too early to write off. I mean, like, you know, for everybody, like for fans, for us, like talking about the team, it's too early to write off, like, the Celtics offseason at this point. Free agency is, is literally, like, tomorrow. Like, so How um, insane is that a lot too? of stuff Jeez. is going to happen. Over the weekend, maybe things will look a little bit better on Monday. Maybe they'll look worse. I don't know. It's just too early to tell at this point. Okay, so let's get into a few of the rumors that popped up earlier today. The first one being from both Brian Windhorst on the Hoop Collective podcast and Chris Mannix. The possibility of Andre Drummond joining the Celtics. Brian Windhorst said on his podcast that a potential deal could involve Drummond and draft picks. Obviously, that didn't happen. Manix said that he's heard around the league that there could be a just Gordon Hayward, Andre Drummond swap. What are your thoughts on that? I personally do not like it. So I'm going to choose my words carefully. <laughs> Andre Drummond stinks. <sighs> Andre Drummond is not the answer. Yeah. And, uh, Gordon Hayward kind of is. <laughs> so like, so that no. would be bad is what <laughs> I would say. <laughs> I mean, it's simple, but it's very true. Like just for this particular team, like Andre Drummond makes no sense. And Gordon Hayward makes a lot of sense. I don't necessarily see the value in that. I mean, unless it's like literally like Gordon is just like, I am leaving, get me out of yeah. here right now. And it's like, well, the best that they can do is somehow Andre Drummond but like I don't know that would be a tough one for me I, I don't think that that would be a uh, I don't think that'd be a good call there seems to be like a weird obsession with Andre Drummond and a lot of Celtics fans I don't really know why I mean obviously if people are firing up the trade machine like the salaries work out so maybe that's a good reason like I don't I don't really understand why but it seems like for a while now Celtics fans have really liked the possibility of getting Andre Drummond I mean the thing is the Drummond has played well against the Celtics the Celtics actually have pursued guys like that in the past. You know, they, they went out and got Greg Monroe. They went out yeah. and got Ennis Cantor. Like those guys have played well against the Celtics in the past and uh, ended up on the Celtics. They go get them. So yeah. like, I see, I see why people like them is because they saw them playing well. But like, the thing is that against everybody else, which are the teams, the Celtics will be playing. They're not that good. So 
Would you say that it's fair that the Celtics clearly are trying to upgrade the center position? Because another report from before the draft started was from Matt Moore, and he said the belief among league observers is that the Celtics have targeted Memphis center James Wiseman looking to upgrade their front court while keeping their court together. And he also added that they've entertained talks for Gordon Hayward in a potential sign-in trade, which I feel like everyone sort of knew based on him pushing back his option deadline. And then he added, though, Kemba Walker. I guess my takeaway from that, and then given the drum and buzz, is that the Celtics are interested or the Celtics aren't comfortable with their five as it stands now. Danny kind of alluded to it, I think it was a couple weeks ago, in saying that, you know, they had to play small a lot this year and he wouldn't mind essentially he basically outright said it a little bit that, yeah, if we have the opportunity to do so, we'd like to play bigger. And I think that makes some sense if you have an opportunity. Daniel Tice is real skinny and I'm sick of it. (laughs) Yeah. He's small. He gets pushed around and I don't like it. I mean, yeah. If if you're looking for a big and there was some, you have to have some sort of discussion about maybe trying to move up and going to target a, a James Wiseman if the market's there, but that was just the Celtics kind of surveying the market. That's just kind of the way it goes. Yeah, I would agree. All right, so last thing here. How do you think the course of tonight's events impacts Gordon Hayward? Like, did this change what you expect to happen? I mean, obviously now his deadline is tomorrow, Thursday, or today, I guess, at 5 p.m. What are you anticipating on that front? One of the interesting things I thought was that Danny, before the draft, hinted that the Celtics might draft for need a little bit more than usual. And then and then obviously after, you know, kind of talked about having guys who are NBA ready, But then like two days before the draft, Austin Ainge said, well, you know, need is a bad evaluator of talent or or whatever the the phrase was that he used, where he basically suggested the Celtics would take like best player available, you know, kind of regardless of Gordon, regardless of all of that. I don't think it's going to have much, much effect on Gordon. I mean, I think they, I think they probably have a good sense of what is actually going to happen. You know, whether they think that there's a chance that they keep Gordon or whether they think they're going to have to trade him or whatever it might be. My guess is that he's still gone, but I don't think that the draft picks necessarily point to that. It wasn't so much in response to who they selected. It was more in that they weren't able to get a deal done draft night. Right. Yeah, exactly. Gordon had a decent amount of leverage tonight in terms of kind of dictating where he would end up. And so I think that probably had a lot to do with maybe them not being able to get a deal done. And who even knows if they even really pushed to get anything done. All right. So obviously there's going to be a lot more news over the next couple of days. We'll know if Ennis Cantor is on the team. We'll know if Shemi Ojale is on the team. We'll know if Gordon Hayward is on the team. We'll see if the Celtics sign anybody. Um, so we will keep coming to you, you know, throughout the rest of the week. Please feel free to reach out if you have any suggestions, questions. Also, please feel free to leave us a review or rating in the iTunes store. It's all very much appreciated. And thank you so much for listening. And we'll talk to you again soon.